Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. On this episode, our family pastor, J.C. Thompson, continues in our series on the heroes of faith found in Hebrews 11. If you want to watch the video of this message or listen to this week's worship, you can do so on our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or you can find all of that and much more on our Brookwood app. We pray that this message encourages you in your walk with Christ. Thank you so much for being here today physically. If you're watching online, thank you for joining us. Um, Before I get started in continuing our series today, I just wanted to be a person and a pastor in front of you, if that's okay. Uh, My name's JC, I'm the family pastor here at Brookwood. And there's just a couple things. I'll be honest, this this text is, is, it's a straightforward text, but it has been a difficult week of preparation. You know, as a pastor, our world has been turned upside down. And this week as well, we lost a great man. So I just want to give you three things I've been thinking about this week very quickly, and then we'll move into our message. First of all, Fenton Moorhead was an incredible man of God. He loved Jesus. If you sat with Fenton, you would hear a story of something that God was doing. He loved his wife. He loved his family. And if you're a young person, if you're an older person, if you're a person that doesn't want to be identified by your age, you need to find someone like Fenton that you can sit with who loves Jesus a little bit more than you do. Second thing, the coronavirus stinks. And it doesn't, this is not a, listen, we can talk about what to think about it and all that stuff. Forget about all that. We will move past the fact sometimes that we need to feel what is happening. And it stinks. It has ruined everything. And if you move too quickly and what do we do about it? And what do we, you miss. What is God doing in how I feel? Because I'm mad. I'm mad my son can't play sports in the same way. I'm frustrated. I I can't watch sports on television. I'm frustrated that I can't hug people or give somebody a handshake without feeling like I might be doing something to hurt them. And it's no one's fault except for this virus. And we want to get so mad at people that we forget the fact that this is the fallen world in which we live in. And it should make us long for heaven where no virus will exist. And it should make us sad that we are missing out on things that we love. And the third thing that I just want to say, and this is something that happened this week. You know, I'm, we're meet, we meet on Mondays as pastors, and, and I'm reminding people that, you know, we, as pastors, we have to continue to do the things that, that will will bring us satisfaction in Christ. We have to read our Bible, we have to pray, and the things that we tell people are the things that will continue. And, and David Hardy, and I, I think he's okay with me sharing this, he, he was sharing, you know, as Fenton is coming close to passing on, he talked about how the Word of God was bringing, it was bringing ease to him in the midst of his pain. He talked about how God's word was soothing. He could see it soothing him. 
And as Fenton was having trouble reading the words of the text, he would be listening on his Bible app to God's Word. He would have family members sharing Scripture and singing with him. If you're not careful, you will want some piece of information to bring you ease. But the only true thing that can soothe your pain, the pain that we feel from this virus, the pain of where our country stands today, the the pain of family relationships fractured, is Jesus. It doesn't matter if things get fixed, you will find something else to feel pain about. Jesus truly does soothe your pain. In the midst of all the craziness, God is good, and we trust him, and we obey him. So today, I'm going to continue our series. Our series is called Believing God. It's about Hebrews 11, these, these men and these women who were examples of faith for us that we can look at and we can ask the question, what do I need to understand about faith that I can obey and follow Christ in? And today we're in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. I'll be here, but I'll also be going back to Genesis 6 because the man that we're talking about today, that's where his story is found. And so we're talking about Noah today. Hebrews 11, 7 just says this. I'll I'll read the, the whole verse. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. He received the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, if you're following along uh, online on your app, uh, or you've got your phone here today, uh, or you printed one out, I've seen a couple people print their message guide out in in coming here. Uh, We've got a couple things that we're just going to look at. First of all, by faith, we can... By faith, we can respond to God in obedience. We can respond to God in obedience. Just the first part of this verse, it was by faith that Noah built a large boat. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat. Now, if you're reading this text and you're asking yourself the question that I asked this week, what in the world does building a boat have to do with faith? Why would God ask Noah to build a boat? I thought the spiritual life, I thought faith was about prayer and Bible reading and coming to church and and doing all these things that we get told all the time to do. What in the world does a boat have to do with faith? You know, it's interesting sometimes that I think we make exercises spiritual that ultimately are just exercises. And we make some exercises not spiritual that may be more spiritual than we think. See, the relationship between faith and works is something that's been talked about for hundreds of years, thousands of years. What does me working, obeying God, doing the things that God has asked me to do, what does that that have to do with my faith? And if you're not careful, the enemy will use this relationship between faith and works to mislead you. One, it could mislead you into trusting your own efforts to come to God, that if I do enough, Or if I do the right types of things, then God will love me. God will accept me. And that's false. God already loves you. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter what you don't do. God loves you. Always and forever. God loves you. God 
loves you. I just want you to say this. If you're at home, I want you to say this. If you're in here, I want you to say this. I want you to just rest in this because sometimes we, we move past this. I just want you to say this with me. God loves me. If you've got children next to you, if you have children in your home, I want you to say this, and I, I want you to let them listen to you. God loves me. Say that again. But JC, nope. No buts. No ifs, no ands, no whats. God loves you. God loves me. We must start there. No amount of things that we do will earn God's love because he's already given it to us. The second thing that it could mislead us in is that because we're saved by faith, our, our works are meaningless. We, we don't do anything. We don't obey God at all. And that's just not true. In fact, you look through Scripture, the entire Scripture, all of it from beginning to end, obedience matters to God. It matters to Him. Obedience matters to God. What we do matters to God. We will all give an account of what we've done to God. And so our works matter. What we do matters. What we say matters. What we think matters. How we treat someone matters to God. And so it's important for us to understand this relationship because if not, the enemy will use our works as an obstacle into our relationship with God. No, our works come out of our relationship with God. And you guys know this if you got kids. Sometimes your kids, sometimes, very rarely, very rarely, sometimes your child will do something just because they're your kid. And they love you. And they didn't do it to earn your affection, although they do that. They didn't do that to avoid punishment, although they do that. They just did it. The rare moments because they love you and because they know you love them. That's our relationship with God. We should be people who are doing good works because that is what Christ followers do, period. And we do that out of our thankfulness and our growing devotion and affection towards Christ. Now, what, act, what makes something an act of faith? What makes something a particular good deed or good word. Well, I'll give just a simple definition. Did God tell you to do it? If he did, then it's an act of faith. He told Noah to build a boat. To some people in this room, he is told to be an accountant. To some people in this room, he is told to adopt children. To some people in this room, he is told, you need to go pray for that person right now. You need to give them a meal. To some people, you build roofs. To some people, you sell things. To some people, you're just a mom or a dad in your own mind. But whatever God has told you to do, that's what you do. That's your act of faith. And there's a myriad of things that God asks us to do. If you're wondering what does God ask you to do, you just get in your Bible and you go, God, what do you ask me to do? And you'll find something. Now, why did God ask Noah to build a boat? Now, that's the question that we need to get to to figure out what is really happening with this. Genesis chapter 6, and this story goes all the way through Genesis 9. 
but we're going to be in Genesis 6 mostly today, verses 11 through 14. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all the corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along the earth. Build a large boat from cypress wood. The world was corrupt. In fact, the scriptures say there was no one righteous except for this man named Noah. As, as bad as we've got it. As bad as we've got it. There's more than one man, there's more than one woman on planet earth that I believe is righteous. And we've got it bad. I mean, it's bad out there. But this is literally everyone. The scripture says everyone was corrupt. The issue of humanity being wicked is compounded by the fact that demonic forces had begun to infiltrate human beings. They had come and they had found women and they had had relations with them. And so it wasn't just humanity being corrupt, but demonic forces were entering into humanity. And God was grieved. God was grieved. God was grieved when he saw that. Just like some of us who have the privilege of having children, when you see your child disobey or about to disobey, you're grieved in your heart. You don't want it to happen. You know what's gonna happen. You know that it's affecting their life. You know that when they lie, they will just, it's like spinning a top. And it's gonna drive them insane. It's gonna make their heart rate rise. It's gonna do all these things. And then it may be compounded by more lies and more lies and more lies. And you're going, I just wish you could get out of this. God grieved, not for himself. God was okay. He was grieving for humanity, knowing that their life could be so much better if they would just obey him. And God was searching the earth for one righteous person that he could trust, that he could invest himself into, and he found that man, Noah, was a righteous man. God gave his grace. Genesis 6, 9 says that he was the only blameless person living on the earth, and Noah walked with God. See, one man stood apart from the rest, and that man was Noah. I want you to check this picture out. You know, I'm so excited about our kids and our students being able to come back with us. I had one of our staff members draw some pictures for us, and I think it gives us such a it gives us a visual representation of what's happening sometimes because sometimes we just get in our own head. Do we have that picture up there? Can we show that picture? This is Noah. He's a worshiper. He worshiped God like Abel. He walked with God like Enoch that we've already seen in this series. Noah's life was a life of obedience and fellowship and worship of God. But he was the only one. He was the only one. Now, God asked Noah to build a boat. Now, this was no ordinary boat. In fact, if you look at the Hebrew word for ark, it's actually closely translated to box more than it is a boat. In fact, if you think of the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, it was a box that held all these sacred things. The, the box that God asked Noah to, to build is a boat because the box was on top of the water. So technically a boat, it floats. You know, like the unicorn that you see at the pool, it floats, right? But it was more like a box. A giant box. 
an incredibly large box that would have had to float not just for the 40 days and nights that it rained, but also the period of time it took for the earth to dry. More than a year at sea, basically. This boat would have been large enough to accommodate all of Noah's family and all of the animals that God had asked Noah to bring to the ark. It would have been huge, so huge, in fact, that if you took a smart car and put it back to back to back to back, it would take 62 smart cars to be the length of this boat. This boat would have been more than four stories high. It would have been huge. It was a huge box. And it would have taken Noah, at least what we believe based on Scripture, It would have taken him about 120 years to build. Now, there's some debate. Did he start building it when God said, hey, there's 120 years left? Or did he wait till his sons got old enough to help him? Uh, We know at least minimum 50 to 60 years if you want to do the math out. But if you want to take what just the Scripture says, it's 120 years. It's also interesting because Noah didn't live anywhere near boating territory. There was no Lake Kiwi. There was no Jocasi. There was no Hartwell He was 100 miles from the nearest body of water. And I'm just going to guess that because he was 100 miles, he probably didn't have much boating experience. You know, I think it's wonderful for us to see that God asked Noah to do something that he would have had no idea how to do. So Noah didn't only have the manual labor of actually building a boat. He also had to go find the materials to build the boat. He also probably would have went to somebody in a boating town. He probably would have went up to Kiwi or Jocassi, and he would have said, hey, tell me about boats. What do they look like? What do they do? And he would have had to walk or be carried by an animal for 100 miles to get there. I mean, many of you are in this situation. God's called you to do something. You got no idea how to do. How do I do this? What What do we do? Well, God should have told somebody else who already knows how to do this. Nope. God told you how to do it. He said, do it. Now, God gave him some instructions, right? He told him how many floors and and the materials and the dimensions. He told him all this. But there are things he didn't tell him. At least we don't have in Scripture. It's possible that God would have given him more specific things, right, in his relationship with him. Noah wouldn't just have one conversation about this ark with God. So it's possible, but we don't have that in the Scriptures. We don't have what do the support beams look like? What does it look like to build a box this big and make sure it doesn't break apart? You know, some of you guys that build stuff, you know, there's a lot more than just dimensions you got to figure out to build something, to, to at least build something that works, and not just works, but works carrying all the weight that he needed to carry, works that it's going to be battered by the sea for more than a year, for a year. Like, like there's a lot to figure out. And here's what I love. Genesis 6, Noah did everything exactly. I don't think Moses, when he's writing this, needed to write both of those words. I don't think he needed to write everything and exactly. But isn't it interesting just how much that covers all of it? He didn't just do all the things. He did all the things exactly right. He did all the things exactly right. And that's what our obedience to God should look like. We do all the things God's asked us to do, and we do all of them with care and precision, that exact way that God's asked us to do them. Well, JC, I, don't, I, don't, I just don't know all the things. I don't know all the ways that God's asked me to do that. Well, one, you can talk to God about that. If God's asked you to start an orphanage or to start a church or to start a small group or to do a service project or to move, 
You can talk to God about that, and God may give you more information. You know what you could also do? You could talk to other people who've started orphanages and started service projects and moved, and you could say, what did God teach you in these things? What do I need to know? What are the things that I need to figure out? Scripture teaches us that we must obey God and trust him and not trust ourselves, not lean on our own understanding. We must obey God until we see God transform what we can see. We must obey God until we can see God transform what we see. God will never call you to do something that he does not intend you to do. God will never call you to do something that he does not intend you to do. See, God has an ark for every believer in Jesus to build. It may not be a box or a boat, but it's something. It's just as important to build our ark as it was for Noah to build his. Do you believe that? Do you believe that it's just as important for you to do what God's called you to do than Noah? Well, JC, I mean, the world's not gonna be completely destroyed. Do you, do you know that? I mean, I mean, I'm just, Jesus is coming back one day. Do you know that? Do you know the consequences for at least one person's life may not be completely destroyed if you don't obey God? Do you know that your life won't be completely destroyed? For me, for me, and this is just me, we want to figure out all the extra stuff before we take the one step. We want to take the one step. So the question that I've got for you is this, what is God calling you to do exactly? Are you obeying him in everything? Not only can we respond to God in obedience, we can also rebuke the sin of the world by faith. Hebrews eleven seven, by his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world. Now, in Genesis 6, 1 through 8, really before Noah is mentioned as a righteous and blameless person, we see the context of the corruption of the, the world, and we talked about this. But God talks about this multiple times in this passage. Genesis 6, 5, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. The ESV talks about three characteristics of the evil of humanity at this time. The first thing, their will, which is the word intentions. Their will, which is the word intentions. Their minds, the word thoughts. And their emotions, the word heart. Literally every part of a human being that makes us a human being and not an animal was corrupt. What we wanted to do what we were thinking about doing, and what we felt about the things, all of them were corrupt. Now we also find out in the New Testament, Noah didn't just build a boat. We find out in 2 Peter 2 that Noah was also a preacher of righteousness. 2 Peter 2.5 says this, and God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's judgment so God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of the ungodly people with a vast flood. Noah's obedience would have been such a stark difference between him and the culture. Noah not only would have been obeying God by building the boat, the box, but he also would have been warning others of the impending judgment. God was grieved at the wickedness that was on the world, but for 120 years, God was being patient with people. He was being patient. Why did God, did God have to wait 120 years to wipe it out? No, 
In fact, God didn't even have to have Noah build a boat. He could have just lifted all the animals up. He could have lifted Noah and his family up and been done with it. That's definitely within God's power to do. Lift them up. Rain, everybody's gone. World is better. Noah, go on. But God was patient with people. Let me ask you this. How many years has God been giving you to be rescued by him? How many years has God been patient with you? See, I can imagine this picture of Noah trying to explain rain, trying to explain a flood that's going to destroy the world to people. And it was going to destroy them because of their own sin. And he would be explaining this to them. He would be calling them to repentance so that they can come on the boat and be rescued. But I just see this. I see these people, this picture of them laughing at Noah, calling him crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean the earth's going to flood? That's crazy talk. Noah probably would have been spending his days building the boat and his nights calling people to repent and be rescued by God. For 120 years, Noah would have been preaching righteousness, and he never had a convert outside of his own family. I mean, you think you're bad at your job? 120 years. Now, Noah's obedience did not mean that he was without sin. You can see that later in Genesis 9, 20 and 22. But his faith was real, and his faith was shown in how he obeyed God for a century long in building a boat and calling people to repentance. His faith was not a one-time act. It would have been a lifestyle. He would have woke up every morning, he would have looked at his children, and he said, children, it's time to build a boat. I mean, you guys think you got it rough right now with kids waking up in the morning? What are we going to go do? Oh, mom, dad, come on. You're going to make me go outside and play? Oh, my goodness. No, Noah was saying, hey, boys, we're going to go build a boat so big, so huge. You know that the enemy would have been talking to his children. They would have been talking to Noah and going, you don't know anything about building a boat. Your dad doesn't know anything about building a boat. Your dad thinks it's going to rain. What a crazy person your dad is. Why would he ask you to do those things? Look at all the other kids. They're playing with sticks and riding donkeys. And we got to build a boat every day. Every day. Every day, building a boat. Every night, calling people to repentance. And I think this would have been the message he would have been sending to people. God will rescue you. God will rescue you. Just believe. He'll rescue from your pain. He'll rescue you from what you're feeling, the guilt, the shame. He'll rescue you. Just believe him. Just trust him. But Noah built and he preached. And I love this. Tony, Tony Evans tells this story. He would have preached and he would have built, he would have preached and he built, and then one day, Noah and his family get on the boat and then plop, plop, plop. This water starts to fall from the sky and the world was judged by Noah's obedience. 
plop, plop, plop. What's this falling from the sky? Oh yeah, that crazy man Noah who built a boat so big, he wouldn't have been able to hide what he was building in his own house. You would have walked by. He probably would have had to build it on a mountain because if you ever had to launch a boat, you know you have to come from the top to get it into the water. Can't just start at the water. It would have been swayed too much. So he probably had to build it on a mountain, which meant every day you walk, you look up at Noah and his family building the boat. Every day for 120 years. And you'd been reminded of the message that God would have been using Noah to spread. God will rescue you if you'll just come on the boat. Is your obedience to God dependent on how the people around you respond? Well, I'll obey God if it's successful. Or I'll do what God's asking me to do if my family's behind it. I'll do what God's asking me to do if it doesn't hurt anybody's feelings. And another thing I'll say, and I, I just feel compelled to say this, sometimes I hear people obeying God. Well, God's called me to leave my wife, or God's called me to quit my job. Or, and sometimes it's not obedience to God at all. Because God would 100% say, don't do that. And you know it, and the people around you know it. Now, as a follower of Christ, it's my responsibility as a follower of Christ, not as a pastor. I have responsibilities as a pastor. But as a follower of Christ, it's my responsibility if somebody's disobeying God to say, hey, what are you doing? What's going on? My influence. So I'm going to say this. If you are obeying God without a promise from God, your obedience is just a publicity stunt for your own pride. I'm going to say that again. If you are obeying God without a promise from God, your obedience is just a publicity stunt for your own pride. You need to tell everybody how good you are. You need to tell everybody how obedient to God you are. What effect does your obedience to God have on those around you? JC, they're not affected. Is that because you're trying to build this giant boat inside your own house so nobody can see it? Is that because you're not telling anybody? There's no risk involved for you? Like, what, what's the reason why that it has no effect? That's a, that's a good question, a good place to stay in until you figure out the answer. I also want to say this. Noah's family and his leadership of them is so crucial for us to understand because his whole family got on the boat. You know, if you're a dad in here, if you're a dad watching online today, I, I just got to say this to you. You know, this, this pandemic is awful. It's horrible. There's no positives about it. Everything about it is ridiculous. One positive you can find is you can be incredibly active and be initiating steps that your family can take to grow closer to Christ. You can as a dad. Don't be passive especially right now when it's real easy to be passive. And wives, if you're listening to me and your husband is trying to lead, but you keep going, oh, no, 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 but I saw this Facebook post. Oh, no, 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 but I heard this. And your husband's trying to lead your family closer to Christ. You need to support him. And if your husband's not doing that, you pray and you pray and you pray and you love and you love and you love and you trust God to do the rest. 
Are you allowing the world? Are you allowing the media? Are you allowing your job? Are you allowing the enemy to lead your family, men? Or are you leading where God's called you to lead? Last, we can also receive the righteousness of Christ. We can receive the righteousness of Christ. Right at the end of Hebrews eleven seven, it says this, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. How was Noah labeled as righteous? Was it because he built a boat? No. Was it because of his age and how old he was? No. Was it because of his perfect track record? No. It was because of his faith and his faith alone. And Noah's faith is validated by God declaring that Noah is righteous. God said Noah is righteous, and it's done. You see, Noah's faith was given to him by God. He found favor in the eyes of the Lord, which is the statement that's given in Genesis 6 to let us know that God gracefully, gracefully gave himself to Noah. That he gave himself to Noah, that he told him of the impending judgment of the world, and he told him, here's the way to save humanity. And he would have guided him and been present with him all along the way. It is God's right to save whom he wishes to save, and he decided to save Noah and his family. Genesis 6:14. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Now, I use that word in the ESV. If you're reading the NLT, it's the only translation that says tar. I think it's trying to get more at the material instead of the purpose and the process that the material is used. But every other translation uses the word pitch. Now, it's interesting that that word pitch is used because that's a Hebrew word. The root of that Hebrew word, kofir, would have been the word used for atonement. It would have been what was happening as people sacrificed later on in Jewish culture. They would have sacrificed animals to get a covering for their sin. Now, atonement is just a theological word, okay? It's a word that the Old Testament uses. It's interesting that the New Testament doesn't use that word, but the Old Testament uses the word atonement. And if you look at the old English definition of that word, it just means at one meant, at one meant. Meaning there are differences between two parties and the act of becoming at one again, the act of reconciliation is called atonement. So just to clarify, God and us, because of our sin, are separated. The act of reconciliation to get us back in right relationship is the act of atonement. But we cannot accomplish atonement. You see pictures of this all throughout the Old Testament. God takes the first step and the middle step and the last step, and God covers up our relationship with him. He defines our relationship. He fulfills his end of the bargain, the covenant. He does that. The word atonement in the ESV translation is used 102 times. 102 times. It's used zero times in the New Testament. Well, JC, atonement is a, it's a, it's a Jesus thing, so why is it not used in the, the, the New Testament? I think that's a great question. It's a question I ask. That's weird for a word to be used so much in the Old Testament and not used at all in the New Testament. Now, I'm going to tell you my opinion here because the Bible just doesn't say, here's why we don't use the word atonement. Scripture don't say that. But I'm going to give you my opinion. 
I think that when God revealed himself through Jesus Christ, that as we learn more about God's love for us and his relationship with us, I think the New Testament writers did not want to use the word atonement because it showed the limiting factor of Jesus' sacrifice. See, Jesus' sacrifice doesn't just cover our sins like this pitch would have covered the boat. It does hundreds, if not thousands times more than that. Ad infinitum. See, the scriptures in the New Testament talk about Jesus' act of his sacrifice, his death on the cross, his resurrection, and here's some of the things that the New Testament writers talk about that Jesus' sacrifice does. It saves us from our sins. It rescues us from our sins. It redeems us from our sin in Ephesians chapter 1. It reconciles our relationship with God in Romans 5.10. It purifies us from sin, Hebrews 1.3. It takes away our sin, period, in Hebrews 10.41. It gives us a new spirit that we are given and indwelled with us. We become united with Christ himself, and it even gives us the power for obedience, That seems like a way sweeter deal than just covering. But in a similar way, in a picturesque way, God gave us a picture of the atonement, the reconciliation, the rescue he was doing for mankind. That the boat, by being covered, would float. Jesus' sacrifice saves the world by transforming us into the family of God making us a new people, and changing the way that we relate to God and others. Noah's boat saved through the judgment of water. And Jesus' sacrifice, as we learn in the New Testament, will save us from the judgment that comes through fire. Jesus is coming again. He's coming. You know, I'm a a little envious of Fenton. You know, Perry and I have talked about, I'm, I'm in my 30s, and to think about being a pastor for the next however long God has me on this earth seems like a daunting task based on today. With social media, with the way the world is changing in, in our context in America, it seems incredibly difficult to think about what the next however many decades of my life look like. And Fenton is entering into rest. And I just, I think about Fenton. If you've ever sat with Fenton, you would know. He would laugh when he heard a story of God. Oh, he'd laugh with so much joy. And I just think about him laughing with Jesus. Jesus is coming. And Christ's righteousness is available to you. How does Christ's righteousness become my own? What does that look like? Well, it happens by placing our faith in Jesus, in the love, in the obedience, in the death, in the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And then also our, our faith is made justified. It's made right. It's made good and it's made perfect because Jesus was raised from the dead. Our faith is placed in a secure Savior We know that our faith will be made right because Jesus was raised from the dead. He defeated everything about sin. So if you place your faith in Jesus, you'll be declared righteous by God. 
Our day is similar to Noah's. It's not the same, but it's similar. The world continues to reject the message of Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's subtle. It's the miracles of God, or it's the authority of Scripture, or it's where's Jesus' body, which I'm going, did you read the Bible? It's, it's nowhere. It's, it's, it's up there. He's, he's still in it. There's no, there's no grave that you can find his body because he's still got his body. He's just with the God waiting to come, he's with God waiting to come back in his body. Wickedness, immorality, violence, profanity, lying, racism, murder, all of those things are prevalent today. But God is being patient. And I pray, I pray he comes back, and I pray he comes back today. I pray he comes back two minutes from now. I pray he comes back right now. But Jesus is our ark. He's our box that we place all of ourselves into. All of it. Here's all of me. Jesus, I'm, I'm giving you all of it. I'm abiding. I'm leaning on you. I'm, I'm putting myself in your box. If your box don't float, I'm doomed. That's what faith in Jesus is. Jesus' life his death, his resurrection is our opportunity to be rescued by God. Will you stop running? Will you stop trying to explain it all the way? The circumstances of someone showing you grace and love that you could never see, forgiveness that someone showed you when they shouldn't have forgiven you. And will you just accept the righteousness that Christ has done on your behalf. Are you working for Christ because you are his child? Or are you hoping that your work or obedience will somehow improve your relationship with him? As my friend Fenton would say, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Let's pray. God, the, the burden of continuing to live in the midst of this is heavy. But Jesus, you told us that you would exchange burdens with us and that your burden is light and easy. But God, it's hard sometimes to take our burden off we want to feel responsible. We want to feel like we can do something. But God, you just ask us to be with you, to surrender, to place our trust and our faith in you. And so I pray, God, if there's someone listening today online or in this room, I, I pray, God, please, Jesus, speak to them. Don't allow them to continue living in disobedience to you. But instead, rescue them. Rescue them, rescue them. And allow them to see and experience the life of a follower of Jesus. We love you. We, we pray for our children and our students as they come back next week. I'm, I'm so excited to see smiles and running and laughter. And I pray, God, that you'll continue to help us as we navigate through this thing that we all despise. Give us patience. Give us conviction. Give us strength to continue in obedience to you. It's in the name of Jesus I pray these things. Amen. Thank you for being here.
Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. Email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326 so that you can get in contact with our Connections team. You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. We are so thankful that you listened today. We pray you have a great week.